When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. Your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Episode 10, Season 2 of Leaf Sky. Jim Taddy with you for the next half hour or so. Thank you, Mike Ross, for that fine intro. Dave McCarthy is our guest today from NHL.com, SiriusXM. He's a correspondent for the NHL Network and a writer for Sharp Magazine. Plenty to talk about with the Leafs win Tuesday night in Edmonton and looking back over a five-game sample size. It wasn't the best, but the results were there for the Leafs. Before we get going, and this is something to consider, football fans, I'm sure we all have an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game, but with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. Could it be any simpler? No guy, it could not. If Sportsbook is not available in your area, you can still get in on NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings are giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the call to action. You don't have to write it down. Just listen intently. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN. Guy, guy, what is it? THPN. Bet $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with the promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for complete details. So here's what we're talking about. We're going to go back to Wednesday, December 1st, an 8-3 win over Colorado, and that was the high watermark of the season for the Leafs. They had played so well the previous month. November was fantastic. Now, Saturday, December 4th, they go to Minnesota, lose 4-3 in a shootout. Nothing to worry about there. The next night, they go into Winnipeg, don't look good, lose 6-3. They come home, have a big lead against Columbus, hang on to win 5-4. Then play Tampa, lose 5-3, which is really a 4-3 game uh, because there was an empty netter there. But they learned a lesson. Tampa was out a lot of players, so were the Leafs, but Tampa really outplayed them and played smartly that night. Uh, The next game is against Chicago. They have a big lead and hang on to win 5-4. And then Tuesday night in Edmonton, 
5-1 was the final. As the Leafs worked through some stuff in that game, wasn't their best game, but I thought by the end of the night they were much better than when they started. Got good goaltending from Jack Campbell and won the game 5-1. And Edmonton, as you'll hear in this discussion, is a pretty good contrast as to how the Leafs were way back when. Maybe not last year, maybe the year before, but there were things that I saw in Edmonton that we used to see in the Leafs on a regular basis. So consider now our conversation with Dave McCarthy from NHL.com, Sirius XM, and a correspondent for the NHL Network. Okay, so let's go back to uh, last night's win, 5-1 in Edmonton by the Leafs. I, I don't think it was a great game to start out with, but they worked their way through it, uh, supported by some good goaltending and some pretty good offense. I thought by the end of the night they'd be happy with where they were. Uh, I'm not going to say they got away with one, but it was a nice win, wasn't it? Well, I thought it was better than what we saw last week in wins against Columbus and Chicago. I thought um, I thought those games last week, quite frankly, at least were really poor, and uh, Sheldon was, was clear in his remarks after the game, and I agreed with him that there wasn't much to like about those games. They they basically won them because they, you know, kind of like the, the bad version of the Leafs back, you know, a year or so ago, last number of years, uh, they just found a way to outscore their opponents. But you just know you're not going to be able to win like that uh, when the games really start to matter. So um, when you look at uh, last night's win against the Edmonton Oilers, yeah, you know, by and large, I thought they were uh, they were pretty good. The only time to me that the game was in uh, any kind of doubt was in the first sort of ten minutes of the second period there, when they didn't even get a shot on goal, and it was Jack Campbell that really did his job uh, to keep them in a uh, in a good spot. But at the end of the day, you're going to go. All, all good teams go through it, even throughout a, the course of a game. You're going to have five minutes, maybe ten, where you're just not at your best. Hopefully, not as as poor as the Leafs were in that span last night, but uh, nonetheless, their goal uh, goalie helped them weather that uh, that storm. And um, and then I thought they took back over the game. Look, I thought uh, Matthews was really good again last night, and it's been impressive to me to see that he has been as effective as he has without Mitch Marner in the lineup beside him, um, or playing with William Nylander for that matter. Um, but I thought they got contributions from throughout the lineup. I thought the fourth line was good again last night with Simmons and Clifford. Uh, they got a big goal, which was uh, always nice to see those guys rewarded. And, man, we got to talk about Morgan Riley, who I think, to me, since signing that contract extension, is playing some of the best hockey of his career. He has been really, really good, um, not just from an offensive standpoint, but taking on some heavy minutes because the Leafs have kind of lost that, uh, that, that shutdown pair with Muzzin and Hall that they assigned a lot of those minutes to last year. Um, that's fallen largely on Riley and Brody. And I thought again last night, the two of them, Riley and Brody, were really, really good. Yeah, the Morgan Riley story is fascinating because this could have been an absolute disaster of, of a storyline for him and for the Leafs. But by signing him, they took that story right off the front page and as you say, he's blossomed since then. Um, this guy is, uh, you could just see them, they're, they're able to pile the minutes on him, and he's able to excel with that. I mean, this is the guy, kind of guy that you need leading your blue line. He always had that ability. We saw it from time to time, but now we see it on a regular basis, don't we? It's It's been consistent, really, from start to finish this year. And I think what what stood out to me was when he signed that extension, Kyle Dubas talked a lot about, the character of the individual that they're signing and that he believed in Morgan, the person, um, and in, in, in doing so knew that 
signing him to that extension was going to continue to help the Leafs get the best out of Morgan and not get uh, complacency uh, out of Morgan. In other words, you sign a, uh, what did he sign? An eight-year deal at seven and a half a year. I mean, that <laughs> depends how you're, how you're wired, but that can lead to some complacency, right? Where it's like, all right, well, I got 60 sheets, whatever it is coming my way. Uh, well, we'll just go out there and do our best. But, you know, if it doesn't go my way, so be it. But that's not what we've seen out of Morgan. His his play has, has blossomed. And I think, you know, potentially he might be the type of guy where uh, he benefits from, from having that security. When you can take that worry and that stress out of his mind, just let him focus on his play. Um, he, he plays more freely. And, and that seems to, to be what's happened. It's been channeled for good. And um, so, look, this, is, this has been a home run on both sides, not just the play of Morgan Riley since signing that deal. But I think uh, we may have talked about it at the time, but the extension itself I think was great work by Kyle Dubas to get him in um, long term with a number that begins with a seven, given what we saw a defenseman of his caliber signed for in the offseason. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is, I mean, they really needed this to happen. When you look at the struggles that Muzzin and Hall have had and, and since been disbanded and, and on different pairs now, and, and probably the emergence of Lilligren is another nice story back there. But, but without Morgan Riley being Morgan Riley, it would have been a big issue. Oh, a huge issue because, one, you wouldn't have had the production. And don't think for a second how valuable that's been, not just the goal he scored last night, but uh, his work on the power play. I think he's had a three-assist game uh, this year. I believe he might have had a four-assist game uh, as well. Uh, he has just really been a facilitator of offense, which is critical um, as well. And if he had kind of been Morgan Riley from a couple of years ago where he was not, not sort of at his best and then struggled through injury and was really not effective uh, throughout most of the year, I think that was in the pause year, the 19-20 season, um, that would have been a real issue because, like we just said, they, they can't rely on Muzzin and a Hall this year. Muzzin has really not been very good at all. Um, has that the is that come down to the fact that his partner hasn't been very reliable, or is it partially on him? I think it's quite honestly a little bit of both. Um, but without the emergence of Morgan Riley, and, and quite frankly, TJ Brody has just been really, really steady uh, all year long. It's amazing to me, Jim, the amount of times to watch a game and you'll be walking out of the rink at the end of the night and you're thinking to yourself, or at least I am, I didn't even really notice T.J. Brody out there tonight. Like, was he playing? But honestly, that's a good thought to have because it means he's doing exactly what the Leafs want him to do. Um, if you're not noticing him, it means he's, quote-unquote, not in the movie the next day, which is not a movie you want to be in, right, when you're watching film in the room. Um, so that's good. And Morgan Riley's taking care of most of the offense on that pair, so they don't need T.J. running around the ice. They just need him being steady, and he's been that to a T all season long. Well, let me put it to you this way. Did you ever talk about Nick Lidstrom's partner the day after a game? No, because no, you didn't. notice him. <laughs> um, so let's get into this. I mean, uh, you've opened a couple of doors here. So we're talking about Morgan Riley. Austin Matthews is totally back. I mean, the shot is, everything is there. Uh, when you look at how Tavares plays, when you look at how Nylander plays, and he had a very nice setup. He skated away from Connor McDavid on, on the Riley goal. And when Marner is healthy, and then you throw in the play of Jack Campbell, I mean, these are your core players. And I'm not going to say that they're better than they were before. I think they're different. Uh, I think they, they contribute more. These guys were always individually great hockey players, uh, but, but I just I, I think you see them pulling the team forward, don't you? 
I do. I do. I, I think that was a great example you used about uh, Nylander there last night, um, sort of out-dueling, quote-unquote, the best player in the world to set up that goal. I mean, you're carrying the puck through the neutral zone. You see Connor McDavid on your tail. Uh, it'd be very easy to get to the red line, dump it in. Um, but, you know, Nylander, I don't think he made a risky play there at all. He just had great positioning, um, skated wide. Uh, McDavid simply just could not get out of the puck. And then what I found, I found to be really surprising was as soon as they kind of got to the top of the circle, um, McDavid quit skating and then for whatever reason kind of just wandered behind the net for no apparent reason. He wasn't really on Nylander's tail, um, nor was he covering the high man uh, coming in, which was Riley. And, and then by the time he got out there, there was too much room. So I thought that was you know, alarming from Connor McDavid's standpoint. You want to talk about Edmonton, like, holy geez, six losses in a row. There's some concern on, on my part for that team. But, you know, largely because in Edmonton's case, I'm going to get back to the Leafs here, but just to tie in the points, when, when Edmonton gets no production from uh, McDavid or Drysaddle, they just simply do not win. And they didn't get any production from them last night. But what we're seeing from the Leafs, is that, um, look, Matthews, as you said, is back. Nylander is arguably, to me, playing some of the most consistent hockey that he's played in the regular season in his career. Um, that line with him, Tavares, and Kerfoot has been a really nice constant for most of the year, um, which, is, which is good to see. And then they're starting to get some contributions from up and down the lineup. Like the fourth line, I think, has been really good. The last, uh, the last few games. Even against Chicago, I thought the Clifford-Simmons line was, was one of Toronto's best lines. And I think Sheldon said it after the game. Was, Look, uh, Chicago, they took away the middle of the ice. We still had some players that were trying to go in there and make plays, and they were turning it over. The fourth line recognized that uh, it doesn't even make sense to, to play in the middle of the ice. They didn't bother. They just cycled strongly. They were good along the boards, and they got some chances out of that. So... Um, when you get all those types of things coming together, um, you can win some games where you're not at your best, but you can also start to look like a team when you put all those pieces together uh, that can win games against some really good teams and win them when they matter most. And, and right now, um, you know, you're going to go through a blip like they did last week. All good teams will have portions in the schedule, four or five games where eh, you kind of, kind of got to sort of get back to basics and, and get things back on the rails. Uh, but they were able to pick up some wins even while they were not at their best. And then they, they seemed to get back right in the right direction last night where they, to me, a lot, looked a lot more like the team that they, they were during that uh, 15 or 18 game stretch there where they were lights out after that first Chicago win. I just found that playing Edmonton, it was a real contrast to what the Leafs are now and what they used to be. So, yeah. if you're, you know, just on the point you made about about uh, scoring. So, you know, if Dreisaitl and McDavid don't score, then the Edmonton Oilers are in big trouble. But when we're talking about Nylander and, and Matthews and Tavares, uh, a lot of times we're talking about them making plays that result in goals. Uh, Matthews will score more than not, but Nylander made a great setup play. Tavares made a great setup on a Matthews goal. And Morgan Riley is, is setting up people on, on a nightly basis and you've got Campbell with the key saves. I mean, it's, it's not the individual performance that we're talking about. It's how it affects the team. Whereas when we're talking about the Oilers, it's, did he score? Good, we have a chance. And, and we're not talking about anything else, are we? No, we're not. Like, I mean, uh, I, I, like we remember what John Tortorella said a few weeks ago about McDavid, and everybody lost their minds. And I, quite frankly, was one of the people that thought, 
okay, if you actually listen to what the man was saying, okay, there's, there's kind of elements in what he said about changing his game a little bit um, that are relevant. And Connor McDavid, again, not to jump on the guy, he's an incredible player, but the people who lost their minds on John, to me, were the people who kind of were suggesting, well, that Connor McDavid has nowhere that he can possibly improve. And I don't think that's true. Because in that, that series against the Winnipeg Jets last year where they got swept, uh, McDavid was not all that good defensively. I'm not talking about offensively, and that goes without saying as well. But defensively, there was room to improve. And then again, uh, last night, we saw another example of it where, okay, you don't catch Nylander, that's fine. Nylander's a really good player too. But then once you get into the zone, you got to figure out what your assignment is. And to sort of drift back behind the net, as I said, for no apparent reason, you took yourself right out of the play and you left wide open for Morgan Riley. So those are little things that, that he needs to get better in if, if the Oilers are going to have a chance. Because if he doesn't score and then he makes mistakes defensively, you know, when Edmonton relies on him basically to score or not win, it's going to be really difficult for this Oilers team. And after a really good start to the year, this is now six in a row, uh, five in a row on home ice where they have kind of receded back to the Oilers of old. And um, you, you factor that in with the goaltending that's not nearly at the level that Jack Campbell's provided for Toronto, uh, the defense, which even went healthy. Um, and this factors in that Muzzin and Hall haven't been that good this year. I, I think Toronto's defense is better than Edmonton's. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I've got I've got some concerns about this Oilers team, especially when you look at Vegas starting to come now uh, after getting healthy. Uh, you know, Calgary's obviously in a pause right now, but we'll see what happens. They look fairly sustainable from a defensive standpoint. Um, you know, there there's some good teams in that division that uh, would start to concern me. Anaheim is now playing well longer than I thought. Give me another 15 games before I start to to really be convinced about Anaheim, but I'm getting close to being convinced, you know, Edmonton better get it together in a hurry and put it that way. Well, you know, to your point on, on the McDavid play on, on the Riley goal, as he went into the zone, he kept following Nylander and eventually bumped into Cody Cece, which took them both out of the play. Uh, you know, you are correct. He should have peeled off around the faceoff dot and picked up somebody else. But, you know, that's what happens. I, I just what I the eye test on, on that game the way Edmonton played and the way they weren't rewarded when they had that opportunity in the second period and the way they were, they sort of looked after the Leafs uh, took a, a three nothing lead told me that reminded me of how the Leafs were yeah. not last year, but the year before. Yeah. Yeah. The year that was paused, right. Where uh, yeah. Sheldon took over where it seemed like, okay, you know, we got down three nothing tonight. Uh, it's not going to be our night. And before you know it, it's 5-1 or, or 6-1 or whatever at the end of the night. And there was no yeah. fight back from Edmonton. And that, to me, was really concerning. Now, for a team that is, uh, is sort of, you know, on the skids, Leon Dreisaitl missing a wide, and I mean capital W wide open net seven and a half minutes into the first period, um, hurts. Right? That goal goes in. Maybe they get a bit of a pep in their step, and, and the game goes a different way. Um, but they, they missed that break, and that seemed to really deflate the team. Matthew scored late in the first period. Before you know it, you feel like you deserved a better fade out of the first, but you're down one uh, nothing after 20 minutes if you're Edmonton. And then they had that push like we talked about in the second for, for eight or ten minutes, 
um, Jack Campbell was equal to the task. And then it seemed like at that point on, um, it was check, please. Uh, we're done tonight, the Oilers said. And, you know, that's, that, that's not going to work. I mean, and credit to the Leafs this year, even on games where they have not had their best, they have found ways to claw back into games at times and win games where you're not at your best. And that is, that is critical because at the end of the day, end of the year, um, two points are two points wherever you get them, however you get them. Um, and obviously you want to be playing a style that's sustainable, but you know, there's going to be what over an 82 game season, maybe 10 or 15 games where you just, you just don't have it. No, no matter how good of a team you are, just the, the fact of the matter over an 82-game schedule. So in those 15 games, can, can you go, you know, can you go seven, um, can you go seven, six, and two, something like that, and just sort of stay over 500? If you can do that or be round about a record like that, you know, then, then you're cooking with gas because you figure the rest of the, the, the schedule – you know, you're going to have 15 games that are kind of laughers where your opponent is just no good. And, and then the rest of the schedule, you're, you're going to be playing the hockey that you uh, feel you're capable of playing, which is the kind of hockey that we saw Toronto play for that, that 15 or 18 game run there. Um, so that, that to me is sort of the recipe. And I think by and large, you know, we've seen that from Toronto most of this year. A couple of things here I want to get into that really impressed me about the Leafs. And so without – Marner, and then without Spezza, the power play actually looks really good, doesn't it? I mean, there's there's spontaneity to it. Um, there's an unpredictable factor there, and and it really looks good. Last night, the Wednesday game was the first time that they didn't score two power play goals in a game in, in what five games. So so that's how yeah. good this thing has been. Yeah, in a roundabout way, it's almost better that they have less guys on the ice who want the puck. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think with with Marner, when you've got him out there with Nylander and you've got him out there with Matthews and even Tavares to an extent, those are all guys that that they want touches, right? Like that's how they impact the game is when they have touches on the puck. Um, so at times, to me, it almost seemed like the Leafs were, were overpassing the puck. Like they were trying to make sure that, that everyone got a touch and they were looking for the perfect play. And and now, to me, it really seems like without Marner out there, and this is not to, to jump on Marner at all. It's just trying to identify what I think has is, is worked well with this iteration of the power play, is that Nylander's out there. Uh, and, you know, don't forget Morgan Riley as well as the guy who wants touches on the puck. But now you've got uh, Nylander out there who um, who wants touches. You've got Riley directing things from the top. Um, but that's kind of it. Now it's can we find Matthews in a in a spot where he can shoot? If not, let's get it down to Nylander. Uh, maybe he can find Tavares' back door. If not, shoot. Kosh has done a really good job of getting to the net, uh, looking for rebounds. But you're not really looking to get him the puck in the bumper, um, you know. And then Tavares is 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 sort of doing his work uh, down low. Um, and then there have been times where, where Nylander has been able to find Matthews when coverage uh, attracts toward him. Uh, but, but that's sort of what I've seen out of this power play. It's that there are less options who want the puck, which has simplified things to an extent. And we've seen a lot of goals where it's just get the puck to the net, get a rebound and, and jam away. And, and that's okay too. 
doesn't have to be pretty. Generally speaking, those are how the goals go in when you just get it to the net, get rebounds, um, and have guys like Tavares, like Tasha, who are willing to get to the net um, to hunt for, for garbage goals. The other thing that's really uh, it's sort of been happening slowly but surely, the uh, identification of leaf depth is, is phenomenal. I mean, you had Mikheyev in Wednesday night. You're without Richie, Spezza, and Marner. So in a healthy team, you'd have to yank three forwards out of that lineup. That's very impressive. And there, there are other people that, you know, we're not talking about Steve's and, and others that, that uh, have been called up in the past. And, I mean, th- this this forward unit is really deep. It is, and don't forget that depth that they thought they were going to have coming into the year, excuse me, in uh, in Adam Brooks and Michael Amadio, uh, they've both uh, departed the organization through waivers. Um, you, you can say how, how those situations were handled. I don't know if um, necessarily they were handled the best with the way the, the roster was managed, and, and certainly Brooks's case. Uh, but those were guys who were higher on the depth chart. Uh, Kirill Semyonov, um, he's left the organization because he just figured he wasn't going to get the opportunity that he wanted. He had an out cost, so, you know, you, you make that to disappear. Uh, but they lost him. So there's three guys already on their depth chart that have moved along. And then now you're into uh, to guys like Sini and, and Steves that have come in and uh, have, have just been able to do the job, um, which, is, which is really good because, um, you know, look – you're, you're going to go through a season, you're going to get guys hurt, especially in a season as wild as this. It's can you uh, sort of fit guys into the lineup that you're not asking to come in and, and beat the world for you, but just can you give me 10 to 12 reliable minutes? Um, can you do that for me? I think Sheldon's done a really good job of identifying those roles for guys like Steve's, guys like uh, Semyonov when he was in the lineup, um, guys like uh, Sini last night. Um, and putting them in a position to succeed. Um, and, and it also speaks to the fact that, you know, we, we talked about it in the summertime, um, and I was somewhat pessimistic uh, at the time, is that, look, here again this, this summer, you've got a lot of guys uh, coming in on hope deals, guys like Bunting, guys like Kasha, where you bring them in low money, hoping that they can deliver and, um, you know, Spezza in there as well, I guess, right? If you bring him back another year, that was a hope deal as well. But, but those were all guys that so far this year have delivered well above what they're being paid. So Spezza goes out. Well, now you've got a guy on the third line in Kasha who could have been a black hole, right, if, if he didn't uh, work out. Then you would have been in real, real trouble because then you wouldn't have had an option to move a guy up the lineup to play with Matthews. But he's been, he's been good. So you move him up, you've got depth down the lineup to move up the lineup, and then you've got depth throughout the organization that you can bring in and plug the, the hole of a guy like Kasha um, or of a guy like Richie who, whose play is kind of leveled out a little bit from to me where it was at the beginning of the year where he was really not that good. I don't think he's costing you all that much anymore. I don't think he's bringing much really either yet. Um, but but he's not costing you, so um, that's good too. But the the fact is they've got depth throughout the lineup that they've been able to move up um, because some of those hope deals have have panned out, which is uh, which is really good to see. 
Um, the other thing is, uh, I'll end on this thought, as much as I like how Morgan Riley's played, the, the developing story on the blue line for me is Timothy Lilligren. I just think that he's uh, – I like watching him play. He's grown into a top-four role. I don't know that he stays there, but the fact that he can fill in a, a, in that type of a role at this point in his, really his rookie season, I think that's a phenomenal story. Yeah, like he, there's some poise there with the puck that I really hadn't seen out of him yet in his career before this year. It, to me, he seemed like a guy that um, was all over the ice, but in a bad way. In other words, he was searching for where he was supposed to be on the ice. Uh, generally, he wasn't finding that spot in time. Um, and uh, to go back to a, uh, an analogy we used earlier, he was in the movie a lot the next day, uh, yeah. which, is, which is no good. Um, but, but to me now, see, like, I, I kind of always equate him and Rasmus Sandin sort of on a similar wavelength. Both came into the organization similar time, Lilligren one year, Sandin the next, both guys from Sweden, both first-round picks. Um, and and what, I, what I saw immediately when I started watching Rasmus Sandin, whether it was with the Marlies and training camp, uh, whatever, it, immediately when I watched him, even early on coming into the organization, I was like, man, there's, there's poise with the puck. Like, it doesn't seem like his his mind is going a mile a minute. He seems to know where to be. Uh, he gets the puck on his stick. He doesn't seem like he wants to throw it away faster than a grenade. Um, like, you see something there. He thinks the game really well. There's a calmness to his play. Um, with Lilligren, I didn't see that. But but now, um, Lilligren is starting to remind me of, of the way Rasmus Sandin was when he came into the organization. Um, he's making some plays. He's calm back there. Um, and, and that, to me, is the mark of a guy that, that's a National League player, not, not just an American League player. And what I, what, I will, what I will say is that I think Kyle Dubas and I think Sheldon Keith deserve credit for his development. Um, yeah. One, um, how, they, how they kept him in the American League, maybe longer than, than, than some people would have liked or um, longer to, to a point where, uh, people were starting to, to, to talk about Lilligren as a bust, um, but they were patient with him. And even when he was down um, with the Marlies, uh, Sheldon, I talked to him on a number of occasions to say, you know, what, you're keeping an eye on, on Timothy. Like, you, you got an eye tracking him. Like, what's going on down there? Because he's been down in the American League a long, long time. Do you see anything out of him? He's like, well, you know, even, even the last year, I remember him saying when I was with the Marlies, um, this was a guy who I really liked the, the, the steady development in his game. He said his gap control had gotten a lot better, and gap control comes down to a lot about where, where should I be standing, right? Uh, it comes down to sort of playing that mile a minute, or are you, are you calm? Do you know where you're supposed to be? So I'm like, okay, that, that's good. That's good to hear. There's some progression there. And he said, just be patient. Like, this guy's coming. And um, now maybe out of necessity this year, uh, they, they've needed him, right, because they didn't block his pass with a, with a veteran in, uh, in the offseason. They wanted to, to see what he could do. It was basically time to see what he could do, and he's rewarded them. So um, it's good, considering that Justin Hall has dropped off, um, that Lilligren's been able to come in and, and fill that role, I think, relatively well. I think, though, in an ideal circumstance, though, given where this team is and what they're looking for, um, it, it's a lot to ask of a young rookie defenseman uh, to contribute top four minutes in the playoffs.
generally speaking, you just don't win um, with that being the case. So I think it would, it would be, it would behoove Toronto if they could find a way to bring in a guy uh, that can play top four minutes along with Jake Musson. I mean, if you could get a guy like Ben Sherratt, that would be unbelievable. Um, but there's going to be a lot of people, a lot of teams that are interested in him. Uh, but that's not to, to say Lilligren is a, is a concern. I just think he'd be better suited. Again, we talked about putting guys in roles to succeed uh, this year um, if he could be in a, in a bottom-pairing role um, with a guy like Dermot or, or Rasmus Sandin. And if you can plug in a guy ahead of him uh, who's better in that top four, then I think you're in really good shape from a, a defensive standpoint. Dave, extremely well said. Thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Always a treat, Jim. Thank you. Last minute of play in this podcast. All right, here we go. Look at he split. Yes, guy, no guy. Thank you, Mike Ross, for that time warning. Yes, guy, no guy. Leafs depth. Oh, yes, guy. It looks very good. Remember, the team that played on Tuesday night was without Spezza, Marner, and Richie, three forwards added to that without Sandine on the blue line. Oh, this team is deep. And now with the goaltenders all back with Campbell and Morazic, you know, this team just has a great look. So that's an emphatic, and I'm going to say it real loud. Yes, guy. Yes, guy, no guy, number two. Austin Matthews totally back. Oh, are you kidding, guy? Did you see his goals on Tuesday night? The last one was a rip. He's got everything going now. We were concerned earlier in the year that maybe his shot wasn't back. Maybe the wrist was a problem. No guy. Austin Matthews is back, and that is a yes guy. Okay, yes guy, no guy, number three. The least power play without Marner and Spezza. Oh, this is a good power play. So another emphatic yes guy. It's spontaneous. It's unpredictable is what I'm trying to say. We don't get stuck in that neutral zone drop pass. They enter the zone cleanly. They look good. So that's an emphatic yes guy. Too many yes guys. No guy. Not too many yes guys. Yes guy, no guy, number four. When they are totally healthy, look out guy. This team, I'm telling you, there's something's happening in front of us now. They've got that depth up front. Uh, some depth on the blue line. Maybe they're going to have to make a move there to bolster the top four, the 3-4 the pairing. Goaltending, if healthy, is solid. This team looks very good. So look out, guy. Yes, guy. Hope you enjoyed Episode 10. Hope you come back next week for Episode 11 of Leafs Guy. Leafs Guy.